Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, no matter what part of the country you're in or what part of the world you're in, you're very welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see so many faces uh, on screen this morning as we come to worship our living God. Um, just uh, uh, a few notices. If you need prayer, um, then uh, after the service, you'll be put into uh, a prayer room with someone from the prayer team. There's the number on screen. So if you could text Nigel and uh, include your name. And then um, we will put you there and uh, someone will join you. Just for those at uh, Heathervale, just to let you know um, that Jan's father passed away uh, yesterday morning. And uh, we, we need to uphold her and the family before God. And uh, I think it'd be good just to pray for her now before we, we start the service. Father, we thank you that your word promises us that uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we do lift Jan before you and the wider family this morning, uh, that you will be their comfort and their peace. And Father, we pray that you will even give Jan this morning a vision of her father rejoicing in your presence as you've called him home, as he, as we worship, that he worships Jesus in person. The Lord, we do pray that you will surround them with your love and your comfort at this difficult time. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Um, after we've uh, sung our first batch of songs, we'll uh, go into a time of open prayer, open praise, and uh, open prayer. So anything that uh, is laid on your heart that uh, you want to pray for, then please unmute yourself and pray and then remute. So before we start, I'd just like to read Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise this morning. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all this morning. Um, just to say we're starting off with a new song. So um, I don't know how many of you might know it. Most of you probably don't. But um, just let the words speak to you um it's a great opening song of praise and to our god and an amazing god that we have asking him to open up the heavens so it's really easy to pick up so you'll be you'll be singing it by the end of it okay thanks Day. We're gathered in your name, calling out 
Just before we carry on, um, Nigel, can you remove the ability to draw on screen? Because I've just seen that that's happened somehow. Okay. Give thanks to the Lord. Our God and King, His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, His love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn His love endures forever 
to the great I am. To you I sing. For you're the one who reigns within my heart, and I will serve no. Father, we would acknowledge this morning you are our heart's desire. There's no better place to be than in the presence of Almighty God. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And we do thank you for the songwriters that write songs that draw us into your very presence, where we can sit at your feet to worship and adore our almighty Saviour. We thank you that you've given to us the power of prayer. And as we come before you, as we sit at your feet, as we come into the very throne room, we thank you that you are faithful to your people, that you promise that you will hear us when we cry out to you. And we would want to cry out to you in praise and worship this morning. But we would also want to bring to you our prayers of petition. So hear us now as we bring those before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd like to pray, please unmute yourself and then mute yourself afterwards. Thank you. Father God, we, we left um, Josh Hayes before you today. We know that he's uh, in hospital um, undergoing his first cycle of chemotherapy. And uh, Lord, we pray for Julie um, as she travels down uh, today. We pray for a safe journey and that Lord, you be with Julie as she seeks to support um, Josh 
and and uh, his girlfriend and the wider family lord we just pray that you give julie all that she needs at this time and for simon too lord and uh christina and amy lord and the whole family we pray your peace your strength your comfort your hope and lord we pray that you would intervene divinely with your healing power lord we know that you work through the chemotherapy but we ask also for your divine intervention for josh that you would uh, you would bring your miraculous healing power that you would release his body totally from from the cancer Lord, we dare to pray too that you would just reignite his trust and faith in you at this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we continue to pray for Ile, um, James and Samantha and Daniel, Lord God. Father, we give you thanks and praise for them. And Lord Jesus, once again, we would pray for your promise. Father God, of comfort over them as they mourn. And Father God, as Ile prepares, Father God, for Victor's funeral. Lord, we too pray for loved ones that are in Nigeria, Lord, that are far away. Lord, be their comfort and um, their peace, I pray. And Lord, too, I pray that you bring my, your healing to my sister this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, I just want to give you praise, Lord. Um, but also I want to lift up Jan, Lord, as she's um, grieving today after the death of her father. Father, I just want to ask you to uplift her, Lord, because she's such a long way away and she can't go and uh, see him, Lord. Just want to uplift her, Lord. Amen. Father God, I would just bring to you the leaders of our nation. Father, we particularly pray for our Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson. Father, we ask that you will give him great wisdom. There are very important decisions that are to be made over the next few weeks. And we pray, Father, that he would make the right decisions. We pray that somehow you would be able to guide him and members of his cabinet, that they might make wise decisions for the future of our nation. And we do pray for all those who've been bereaved. Father, that you would comfort them this morning. And for those who are in hospital or so sick, we pray that you will give them a measure of healing, Lord. So Father, we just pray for your intervention in this situation and that we ourselves would be beacons of hope and light in what seems to be a dark world at the moment. Thank you, Father. Amen. Father God, we also lift to you uh, Janet Mills as she continues to uh, to have cancer treatment uh, with chemotherapy. Lord, I, I just pray your, your healing uh, for Janet, for your comfort, your strength, your peace. Lord, we lift Pat to you too today, who's still uh, struggling with, with COVID and a chest infection and 
not not at all uh, well. Lord, we just pray that her breathing and oxygen levels would would improve, and that Lord the the threat of having to go into hospital would be taken away from her. So Lord, just comfort her, give her your peace in in the midst of a of an anxious and uncertain situation. And uh, Lord, we're just we're just so aware of of so many at the moment who who are unwell or have relatives who are who are sick, who are struggling. Lord, with with uncertainty and anxiety, and Lord, we just we just ask for your strengthening grace and comfort and hope for these people today. In Jesus' name, Amen. A few words from the book of Job. If you will seek God, if you are pure and upright. Surely he will rouse himself for you and reward you with a rightful habitation. Surely then you will be lift your face and you will be secure. Thank the Lord for the rain. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. 2 Corinthians 1.10. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that as we have brought our prayers of uh, petition and praise before you, that we can with a confidence lay them at your feet, knowing that you will take them up on our behalf. Nor whether they've been spoken out loud or spoken in our hearts, you hear every one. And we thank you that you care about us and you care about the things that are laid on our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you will reach out and touch those areas of those people uh, that we have prayed for, their, their lives, that you will touch them in very special ways, that they may know that we've been praying for them this morning because the power of your spirit is upon each one of them. And we thank you that your spirit is moving upon us as we meet together and as we share together. But as we've given you praise, Lord, we want you to speak to us this morning whether that's through the prayers, whether that's through the songs, whether it's through the reading, whether it's through the sermon, you can use all means to speak into our hearts and minds. And we pray that we will be different people because we've met with Almighty God this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'll hand over to Mark to uh, give us the all-age talk. And uh, he's going to continue um, looking at covenants between God and his people. Thank you, Mark. Nigel, you need to make me co-host again. For some reason, I'm not co-host anymore. So, today, we're going to take a brief look at the next two covenants, the covenant God made with Abraham and the covenant God made with Moses. 
Abraham was originally called Abram. Abraham was married to Sarah, who was originally called Sarai, which is a bit confusing, but we'll see why a little bit later. Anyway, the story of God's covenant with Abraham starts when he was 75 years old and Sarai was 65. They lived in a place called Haran. And one night, God spoke to Abraham and told him to leave the family home and head southwest. God told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation and that everyone on earth would be blessed through him. So he gathered all his things and his family and off he went. They headed for the land of Canaan. And when they got to Canaan, they carried on till they reached a place called Shechem, where God spoke to Abraham again. He said, this is the land that I will give to your offspring. Abraham believed God, even though the land was already populated with Canaanites. So he built an altar and worshipped God there. Anyway, at that time, there was a bit of a famine in Canaan. Well, actually, it was quite a lot of a famine. So Abraham took his family and went to live in Egypt for a while. There was no famine in Egypt. And while they were there, Abraham became quite successful and amassed a great deal of wealth. Silver and gold, sheep and goats, cattle and camel, as well as servants and workers to look after everything for him. After a while, the famine in Canaan was over and Abraham and his family returned home. God spoke to Abraham once again and reminded him that he was going to be the father of a great nation. But he still did not have any children. So Abraham asked, how? God said that Sarai would have a son and their dependents would be more numerous than the stars above. Abraham still didn't know how, but he trusted and believed God. And so God counted it to him as righteousness. Years later, when Abraham was 99, he had still not had a child with Sarai. So the Lord appeared to Abraham once again. Abraham fell face down before the Lord. This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, God said. No longer will you be called Abraham, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, which means the father of multitudes. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you to be your God and the God of your descendants. The whole of the land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, and 
as for Sarah, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abram laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? But he still believed God could do it somehow. And sure enough, the next year, Sarah had a baby when she was 90 years old. And Abram was a hundred and they called him Isaac. The deal was that if Abraham and his descendants followed God, loved, honoured and obeyed him, then he would give them the land of Canaan to live in for all time. And it became known as the promised land because God told Abraham that his descendants wouldn't actually inherit it for 400 years. Anyway, Isaac had a son called Jacob, and Jacob, who was also called Israel, had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And once again, there was a famine in Canaan, and the whole of Israel's family moved to Egypt, where they stayed for 400 years. Sadly, because they grew so numerous, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites for fear of them taking over. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham. He rescued them from the Egyptians. And this is what we call the Exodus, which we looked at a few weeks ago. God used a man called Moses to save his people from the Egyptians. And while they were on the run, they settled at the foot of a great mountain called Mount Sinai. God called Moses to the top of the mountain where he gave Moses the law and the Ten Commandments. God said to Moses, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God promised that if the Israelites obeyed the law and the Ten Commandments, then he would bless them greatly. But if they disobeyed the law and forgot about God, then he would punish them. And we've seen this as we've looked at the exile in the book of Ezekiel. But God always makes a way for his people to return to him. And as we come humbly in repentance, God forgives our sins and we'll see more of this in the weeks to come thank you mark for sharing once again two excellent uh, covenant promises uh, and we're going to continue in ezekiel and uh, jude will bring us the reading this morning thank you jude thank you tony so this morning we're reading um, the whole of chapter 25 together. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, 
set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to them, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you said Aha over my sanctuary when it was desecrated and over the land of Israel when it was laid waste and over the people of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore, I am going to give you to the people of the east as a possession. They will set up their camps and pitch their tents among you. They will eat your fruit and drink your milk. I will turn Rabbah into a pasture for camels and Ammon into a resting place for sheep. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet, rejoicing with all the malice of your heart against the land of Israel, therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and give you as plunder to the nations. I will wipe you out from among the nations and exterminate you from the countries. I will destroy you and you will know that I am the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, because Moab and Seir said, look, Judah has become like all the other nations. Therefore, I will expose the flank of Moab, beginning at its frontier towns, Beth Jehoshemoth, Baal-Meon and Kiriatham, the glory of that land. I will give Moab along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession so that the Ammonites will not be remembered among the nations. And I will inflict punishment on Moab, then they will know that I am the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because Edom took revenge on Judah and became very guilty by doing so, therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will stretch out my hand against Edom and kill both man and beast. I will lay it waste. And from Teman to Dedan, they will fall by the sword. I will take vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they will deal with Edom in accordance with my anger and my wrath. They will know my vengeance, declares the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with malice in their hearts and with ancient hostility sought to destroy Judah. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am about to stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will wipe out the Carathites and destroy those remaining along the coast. I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. Thank you, Jude. Let's uh, pray for Martin as he comes to speak. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that we've read from Ezekiel, the word that you gave uh, your prophet to give to your people. And Lord, although it was thousands of years ago, Lord, it's relevant to us today because your word never changes. And so we thank you for the word that you've laid on Martin's heart for us this morning to unpack this and make it relevant to us today. 
The Lord bless him as he speaks and bless us as we hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Tony, and uh, thank you to Jude for reading so beautifully, as always. Um, some cracking names in there for you to pronounce, so well done. That was, that was great. Um, so th this, this sermon was one I could have easily, well, I, I am, in effect, preaching it to myself. Um, I hope my own um, struggles sort of reflect uh, some of yours in lockdown, but um, I think one of Satan's key strategies, uh, particularly at this time of, of lockdown, is probably uh, discouragement, isn't it? And a loss of a loss of hope. Uh, many of us at different times through lockdown have, have suffered with kind of low mood or a loss of hope or some discouragement. I think that's been a common reality for many of us. Um, and sort of discouragement was certainly true of God's people in exile in Babylon. There they were, hundreds of miles away from home, away from the centre of their worship, the Jerusalem temple. They must have been wondering, how long are we going to be here in exile in a foreign land? Um, and when we pick the story up in chapter 25, the, their neighbours, the Ammonites, Moab, Seir and Edom, they've, they're actually rejoicing at the downfall of God's people, Judah. They're mocking Judah. They're revelling in the fact that Judah are suffering in a way uh, in exile and under God's um, punishment. But this isn't the worst of it. It's bad enough that the people are away in exile in Babylon from, from Jerusalem. But even worse, just before chapter 25, Ezekiel tells the people that there's a messenger on the way coming from Jerusalem to tell the, the exiles in Babylon that actually the Babylonians have, have raised the temple to the ground. They've destroyed the Jerusalem temple, the very centre of uh, the worship of Israel. So it's just about to get even more discouraging for God's people in exile. When they hear this news of the devastation of the temple, this is gonna be rock bottom, the lowest point uh, for the people. And they must have doubted surely that God was still sovereign, still in control of their present and their future. And, um, all kinds of trials and circumstances can cause us to begin to lose hope, can't they? Um, we begin to doubt God's sovereign plan for our lives. We begin to wonder, where is God in all of this? Um, that can be loss of health in ourselves or our loved ones. It can be the breakdown of a relationship. It can be a bereavement. It can be a loss of job or financial security. It can be persecution and opposition to our faith. All of these things can overwhelm us at times and threaten to sink us in our faith and cause us to lose sight of hope. But Ezekiel in this chapter calls God's people to remember that God is sovereign, even when they feel discouraged, even when they feel that God has forsaken them and completely abandoned them. God is at work bringing about his mysterious hidden purposes for them. And that's a message that we need to hear today. Many of us are struggling with circumstances and situations that seem hopeless and we wonder where is God? Is God still in control? And the message of Ezekiel 25 is trust God, he is sovereign. Three things from this passage I want us to look at. First, I want us to see that God is sovereign over history. 
Second, that God is sovereign over all the nations and over world affairs. And third, to remember that the cross and the resurrection of Christ affirm both God's sovereign control over history, but also our responsibility as human beings. So first, we are to remember that God is sovereign over history. As I've said, four close neighbours of Judah, Ammon, Moab, Edom and the Philistines, had been rejoicing at Judah's punishment from God. They were in exile because they had disobeyed the covenant, as Mark said in his all-age talk. And God had scattered them into exile so that they would learn their lesson and turn to him again. And some like Philistia have gone one step further. They're not just mocking Judah. They're actually actively persecuting, attacking Judah. And as a result, through Ezekiel, God promises to carry out vengeance on these nations. Judah must feel, well, God's forgotten them. But actually, God reminds them through Ezekiel that he's at work, not just with his own people, but punishing the nations who are mocking them. Listen. I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. In other words, God will hold the nations who are mocking his people to account and he will he will hold them to account and judge them for the way that they're treating his own people. So God is saying, look, Judah, I haven't forgotten you. You are my covenant people, my chosen people. You are going through the punishment of exile, but I am holding these nations surrounding you to account. And there is more hope. This chapter 25 sits in a section from 25 to chapter 32. And right in the middle of all these judgments against foreign nations in chapters 25 to 32. Now, this wonderful little section in Ezekiel 28 where God promises that he hasn't forgotten his people and he's going to bring them home. So Ezekiel 28, 25 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When I gather the people of Israel from the nations where they've been scattered, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of the nations. Then they will live in their own land. In other words, God has not forgotten his own people. He's judging the nations who are mocking them, and he will bring them back to Jerusalem in his timing. In other words, God is giving his people hope that the other side of this season of judgment, he is at work sovereignly judging and holding the nations to account. I don't know how long you've been in your season of struggle or discouragement, but God is a God of hope. And he wants to speak into your situation this morning and say, the other side of this season, there is hope. There is healing. There is restoration for you. Hold on, albeit by your fingertips. But God is with you and he is sovereign over your circumstances. And he will hold on to you. And all we've got to do is just hang on, cling on to him. Hope is something that all of us as human beings need. Um, Andrew Del Banco, in his book, The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope, writes that human beings are wired. Um, we need to have a story in our lives. We can't live without knowing that history is heading somewhere. Um, we must be we must know as human beings that we're in a story that has an end point. And Christianity gave the world 
the story of progress and hope. Christians have always understood history to be linear, not cyclical, but linear. And it's Christians have always seen that history is sovereignly controlled by God and that we are moving towards a day of judgment and a day of justice and a day when God will renew the heavens and the earth and the day when he will um, bring all of his people into his everlasting kingdom. Those who followed Christ are heading for an everlasting kingdom after this life. But this Christian story of progress towards a hopeful future has been taken over by secularism and the idea that science and technology now are all that we need for a better future. Now, like you, I am very hopeful about this vaccine. I think it's one of the, the best pieces of news in a very dark world that we've had recently. I mean, who wouldn't be hopeful about the vaccine? However, as Christians, we need to pin our hope on much more than science and technology. You only have to watch one of David Attenborough's programmes on a Sunday night to realise what a mess human beings have made of the planet and of the destruction that we've wreaked on our planet. And if our hope is just pinned on scientific and technological process, I think we're in real trouble as a planet. Um, so we need to base our hope for the future on, the, on our faith and not just on science and technology, important though they are. Today, the, the secular idea of progress is beginning to crumble. Um, have you noticed the number of films, um, not just Marvel films, but other types of films that talk about the, ex the extinguishing of the human race and the end of the world, those kind of the road and, and uh, the, the, the end game and all these sort of movies that talk about the destruction of the planet. And that's the reason for that is that these films and books are reflecting something of the crumbling of hope in future progress that's going on in our culture. Pe people are no longer believing the, the story that science and technology are our way out of this mess that we've made. They are part of the solution, sure, but, they're, but people are beginning to become cynical and disillusioned about the, about the human ability to rescue the planet. And the Christian answer is that the modern idea of historical progress through science and technology is way too optimistic. But then the kind of dystopian storytelling of films and novels is also too pessimistic. Um, the Christian faith shows a better story. It shows that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is real hope for eternity. Jesus is the first fruits of a resurrected and renewed creation. Um, in, in, a, in an agrarian culture, um, the first fruits were the first harvests that were picked and they were signs that there was a bigger harvest to come. And because Jesus has been raised from the dead bodily and physically, he is our hope that as Christians, we will be bodily and physically raised from the dead. But, he's, but Jesus has also been raised in order to renew and reconcile the whole creation. So the hope for our world and for us in terms of eternal life is based on the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus enables us through faith to have eternal life and to live in a new heaven and a new earth with glorified resurrected bodies. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits 
of a restored heaven and earth and of God's eternal kingdom plan. That's the good news that the world needs and that we have. Um, it was this kind of Christian hope that sustained African slaves in horrible conditions on the cotton plantations and in other slave conditions in America. Um, spiritual songs that were shared by these slaves would sing about a final judgment, a day of justice when all wrongs would be made right. Howard Thurman, uh, a, a historian at Boston University says that spiritual songs taught a people in slavery how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face, those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope. It allowed those people, those Christians in slavery to have hope and to hold on to God in the face of such suffering. And that's the hope that you and I have through Christ of a restored heaven and earth, of a hope for a future and of eternal life. So number one, we're to remember that God is sovereign over history. Number two, we're to remember that God is sovereign over world affairs. I don't know if you find the news a difficult watch. I've found the news a difficult watch for a long time for all sorts of reasons. Um, but one of them is surely just the, the gloom and doom and the sense of darkness and the loss of hope. Um, and that's where we need the, the hope of the Christian faith. In Ezekiel 25, it appeared that all was lost for the people of Judah in exile. Their, their neighbours were mocking them. But God speaks through Ezekiel and shows that he is at work, not just in his own people, but he's at work through all the nations. Um, if, if you read through chapters 25 to 32, and I know some of you are reading through the book of Ezekiel, you will notice that there are seven nations listed there. And seven in the Bible is a symbol of completion and, and of perfection. And it's a way of Ezekiel saying, look, God is at work holding all of the nations of the earth to account, not just Judah's neighbors, but God is at work sovereignly among all of the nations of the earth. And God particularly promised to restore his covenant people, Judah, and bring them home. And this is exactly what he did through Cyrus the Persian, another foreign power. God used the Persian Empire to overthrow the Babylonian Empire so that Cyrus would be the one who led God's people out of the Babylonian Empire back home to Jerusalem. God is sovereignly at work among the nations. There is nowhere, there's not a square inch on earth where God's kingdom is not at work. And God says in Ezekiel 20, 28 verse 25 that when he gathers the, the people of Israel back, all other nations will see God's holiness and know that God has restored his chosen people. In other words, when Israel is up and doing well and under God's blessing, God is honoured and glorified. If God's people are down in exile and suffering, God's name is being dishonoured. So ultimately, the reason that God will, will restore his people back to Jerusalem is for the honour and glory of his own name. Now, if you think that sounds selfish, the very reason that human beings have been created is to enjoy and delight in a relationship with our Father God. So it is not self-centered of God to want to restore us back to a relationship with him. He's the reason that we were made and created to, to enjoy a good relationship with him. 
So when God's people were under blessing in the old covenant, God's name was glorified and honored. So God's whole intention was to purify his people in exile, to cause them to turn away from idolatry and sin and to turn back to him. And then when he restored them to Jerusalem and he rebuilt the temple through Nehemiah and Ezra, it was to glorify his name among all of the nations, the nations surrounding uh, Judah again, that they would see that the Lord God had restored his people. Now, you and I today in the new covenant in the church are the means by which God um, is seeking to restore his name and bring honor to his name. If we in the church dishonor God through disobedience and sin and apathy, then God's honor is taken away from him. But if we obey him and submit to him in all of his ways, we will bring him honor and glory. That's how it works. We need to affirm that God is at work in all the world in these times, especially in this pandemic, don't we? Even in the midst of a global pandemic, God is sovereignly working things out. Um, it's often mysterious and hidden to us. Um, just to illustrate this, um, there's a little pic. I don't know if some of you I know are doing cross stitch in uh, lockdown, aren't you? You're, which is really creative, um, a good thing to do. Uh, some people are doing jigsaws. Some people are doing cross stitch. Some people are painting. Um, some people like me are reading and walking and not doing much creative. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I, I'm always fascinated by the, the other side of the tapestry. Um, here's a crown, beautiful crown on a tapestry. If you turn it over, can you see the tangled threads, the confusion and the mess that's on the other side? And it's like that in our world, isn't it? When we switch on the news, all we see is the other side, the wrong side of the tapestry. We see tangled threads in a mess. We don't see the beauty and the order that God is bringing about. Well, one day God is going to bring about a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And we will wear those crowns as Christians and we will reign with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, no more injustice, no more crying, no more sadness, no more tears. That's the future. God is at work mysteriously weaving all the threads together, bringing about a beautiful, hopeful picture of a new heaven and a new earth. We see the threads on the back of the picture. God sees what he's building and bringing about. So to say that God is sovereign over history doesn't mean that he directly wills everything in the sense that that's exactly the way he wanted it to happen. But he's able to take the threads of human evil and sin and he's able to weave them mysteriously into a beautiful pattern, a picture of his hope for a renewed heaven and a new earth. We don't understand it. We know that God holds human beings to account for their sin, but we know that he's still able to work with all the evil and sin that we do to bring about a beautiful, hopeful future. Thirdly and lastly, I'm coming into land. We need to remember that the cross and resurrection affirm God's sovereignty as well as our human responsibility. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached. 3,000 people came to faith 
but before they came to faith, they were cut to the heart because they realized that they, with the help of wicked man, men, according to Peter, had put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. In other words, God held the Romans and the Jewish authorities and the Jewish people who cried, crucify him to account for what they did to Jesus. And yet, even though we are responsible as a human race for rejecting Jesus, look at the first part of verse 23. God is still sovereign even over our sin. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Do you see that? God always planned that Jesus would die the death that we deserved in order that we would get the righteousness that Jesus deserved. Jesus took the punishment, the rejection, the rebellion of our sin on the cross so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of God's judgment on our sin. God's sovereignty was supremely at work in his plan for Jesus to die, but we are held responsible for our sin at the same time. Human responsibility works with God's sovereignty. You cannot have God's sovereignty without human responsibility. And that's how God works in history. He holds human beings accountable for how they respond to the cross of Christ. Those who trust in Jesus and turn from, away from themselves will receive forgiveness and eternal life through the cross. But those who reject God's means of forgiveness will get exactly what they want. Rejection of God for eternity beyond this life. Those who accept Christ for this life accept him for eternity and will live in a new heaven and a new earth. But those who reject Christ in this life reject him and make a choice for eternity. The truth is that God is at work in the world bringing about his plan of reconciling the whole creation to himself through the cross of Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 9. Paul says this, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when, and it goes on, the time to reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. God is at work in the world reconciling through Christ the whole creation to himself. And one day we are promised, God promises in his sovereignty that this will be the future. Revelation 7 verse 9. God says this through John. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. And it goes on. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's the future of the planet. That's the hope. That God is reconciling a people too numerous to count from every nation, tribe, ethnicity and language who will one day worship Jesus, the lamb, before the throne of God. That's the future of the earth. That's the hope. But we as humans, we as Christians particularly, are still responsible for the way that we respond to the gospel. God is not just going to do this without us, is he? He calls us to account. He calls us to responsibly take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus commissioned his disciples and us at the end of Matthew's gospel to do this, to make the reconciling work of Christ known. Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20 says this. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the earth. That's our purpose. That's our hope. God wants to work through you and me, his people, to bring reconciliation and hope to a, to a hopeless and hurting and uncertain and anxious world. God wants to bring hope in us and through us. He wants us to make the gospel known through word and deed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope of the gospel of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that history is heading towards that day when Christ will return and bring about a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, thank you that the news on BBC One or ITV is not really what's going on in the world. Lord, thank you that you are taking all the tangled and knotted threads of the chaos of this world and you're weaving them together into a beautiful tapestry. And one day, Jesus, you are coming to renew the heavens and the earth, to bring beautiful order and a new creation where there'll be no more pain, no more sadness, no more death, no more suffering. We just thank you, Jesus, and praise you this morning. Help us to be agents of re reconciliation. Help us through um, word and deed to make the gospel known, to call people home to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you, Martin, for sharing God's encouragement to us this morning in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. It's good that he is sovereign over all. Well, let's uh, sing our closing song. So over to you, Steve. Thank you. God is stricken, see his 
foremost Might crush beneath his feet For the conqueror has risen And as the stone is rolled away And Christ emerges from the grave This victory march continues till the day Every eye and heart shall see him Spirit come, put strength in every stride, give grace for every hurdle, that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As saints who bold still line the way, retelling triumphs of His grace. We stand in glory As saints of old Still find the way We tell in triumphs Of His grace We hear the cold Hunger for the day When with Christ We stand in glory Father as we take our worship our praise, and the things that you have revealed to us this morning from this place and into our daily lives. May our lives be guided and sustained through the love of our Heavenly Father. May we feel the presence of Jesus our Saviour walking beside us every day and know the power of the Spirit in both our actions and our words. Amen. Well, thank you to everyone who's taken part uh, today. Uh, reminder, if you need to pray or someone to pray with you, then please contact Nigel 0777 and someone will come into the prayer room and pray with you.